0: From deep inside your radio, and/or other chosen audio device, I have to say that now, I have to stay current. You know, especially here in San Francisco, uh, where, you know, I, every time I go to back back to Los Angeles, where I was born, you know, um, I'm I'm newly impressed, and I don't think the impressed is the right word by the fact that uh, all the outdoor advertising, the billboards, the bus benches, the buses, the taxis, all all the advertising you see as you just ride around the city is for television shows and movies. Now, when I grew up in, La- in Los Angeles, the billboards were for beer and cars. Of course, that's when we made beer and cars. Um... But now here in San Francisco, where I've just spent the last couple of days attending the, the uh, festivities celebrating my San Francisco affiliate, KALW, and its public radio party. Uh, I was noticing all the billboards and the bus benches and the buses are advertising tech stuff. Not a word about the new season of television. Really? They don't notice that? It's, it's almost as if it's not important. Ladies and gentlemen, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers... The Let Us Try people, they tried. They're now paying $85,000 to the Environmental Protection Agency. Yes, from the from your left pocket to your right pocket. Why? The Corps of Engineers violated, they didn't try. They did violate regulations handling a hazardous chemical at the Army's Cold Regions Research and Engineering Lab, the CREL, in Hanover, New Hampshire. According to the EPA, the Corps didn't comply with risk management plan regulations in the Clean Air Act in its handling of anhydrous ammonia, my favorite kind of ammonia. The EPA said, in addition to typical refrigeration equipment, the lab had an emergency dump system outside from which ammonia could be discharged to a nearby stormwater detention pond that drains into the nearby river, the Connecticut River in that case, because of its potential to harm the river. The Corps will be disabling that outdated technology and safeguarding the facility through other means. Oh, those will be safe means. Well, at least let them try. You know, ammonia in your water. It's not the worst thing that could happen to you. And the revolving door waltz continues to play, ladies and gentlemen. The Pentagon has spent $2.7 billion. That's our Pentagon. That's our $2.7 billion, Developing a system of Giant, radar-equipped blimps. You think I'm kidding. I think I'm kidding. I'm not kidding. Blimps, I say, to provide an early warning if the country were ever attacked with cruise missiles, drones, or other low-flying weapons. Like attack blimps, I guess. Ooh, blimp versus blimp. After nearly two decades of disappointment and delay with the system, oh no, it's known as J-Lens. Army leaders tried to kill it in 2010 according to the Los Angeles Times. Yes, there still is one. What happened next illustrates the difficulty of extinguishing even a deeply troubled defense program. Raytheon, Raytheon, mobilized its lobbyists, which, you know, it has a First Amendment right to do. It's a person. Within the Pentagon, Marine Corps General James Haas Cartwright, who was then vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, came to defense of the blimp system arguing it held promise for enhancing the nation's air defenses. Otherwise, there'd be a blimp gap. At Cartwright's urging, yeah, Haas urged it, money was found in 2011 for a trial run of the technology an operational exercise, you know, the kind they have with missile defense, in the skies above Washington, D.C. Here's a nutty coincidence. That same year, Haas Cartwright retired from the Marines and A few months later, he joined the board of directors of what company? Thank you, Raytheon. As of the end of 2014, Raytheon had paid him more than $828,000 in cash and stock for serving as a director. Raytheon declined to participate in the story written by the Los Angeles Times. Yes, it, it still exists even now. Cartwright remains a Raytheon director, did not comment either. Uh, Philip Coyle, who oversaw assessments of dozens of major weapon systems as the dire- Pentagon's Director of Operational Testing for uh, seven years, said Congress should closely examine whether the j system deserves any more money. The cost of a blimp-borne radar network big enough to defend the nation against cruise missiles would, he said, be enormous. Well, enormous is good, right? If you're Haas Cartwright. The revolving door walls, ladies and gentlemen, it plays on. Now, we've learned this week, if we didn't already know, I think I remembered it from civics class, but I had to check. You don't have to be a congressperson to be elected Speaker of the House. And, uh, you know, big news in Washington this week. And I I rarely pay attention to big news in Washington because it's usually about Washington. But the big news in Washington this week is the the, uh, withdrawal, the stunning... Were you stunned? The stunning withdrawal of uh, the putative next Speaker of the House, Congressman McCarthy, after he committed a, a gaffe and um, opened the door for doubt about his ability to get the sufficient number of Republican votes to uh, win the Speakership. So now there's there's supposedly chaos uh, as the Republicans flail to choose a uh, a candidate for Speaker of the House who could get... Sufficient number of votes. But as I say, you don't have to be a, a congressperson to be speaker. So we've made available some airtime for uh, possible uh, candidates for that office as a public service today here because we're, we're all about public service on Hello. Welcome to the show.
1: You know, the spirit of the times calls for someone who's an outsider, an opponent of the entrenched political establishment. But what if you could elect as Speaker of the House someone who's been there before, but who ticked off the establishment so much they voted him out of office and straight into the arms of the right-wing Catholic populist fringe? Hi, I'm Newt Gingrich, and I'm that someone. You know, you don't have to be a member of the House to be Speaker of the House. So your representative could vote for me even though I'm fully employed as a part-time pundit. I know how the House of Representatives works, or doesn't work, and yet I don't work there. You don't have to be Dr. Edward Teller to know that sounds like the perfect formula for a successful speaker. But right now it's time for you to speak and let your voice be heard. Let your representative know that Newt is new to a T. If you want fresh blood that's not going to leave all the blood on the floor, join my brand-new newt pack, and let's get me back where we all belong. Thanks. And yes, I approve this message. Heck, I wrote it.
0: Thank you, sir. From San Francisco, City by the Bay, I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen... News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Ebersole, Jr. Well, it's a movement, but the arrow is pointing downward. The organizers of the Rio 2016 Olympics have been forced to make major cutbacks, slashing budgets by almost a third... Organizers have held a series of meetings over recent days to find ways to remain within their two-and-a-half billion pound that would be about four billion dollar operating budget Which is privately raised from commercial sources Quote the communications director of Rio 2016 the days of lavish spending are over. Oh damn it. I missed them The cuts will not affect the Olympic venues or infrastructure which are paid for out of a different budget, and should not impact the experience for athletes and spectators. Yeah, and there should be world peace, too. But the newfound determination to remain within the budget and avoid having to call on public money to meet any overspending has led to cuts to the opening ceremony. Changes in the ticketing operations, uh-oh, an increased emphasis on temporary tents at Olympic venues and savings at test events. Of course, when Rio won the right to stage the games in 2009, its economy was riding a wave of growth. That's over. The lottery system, the online lottery system to allocate tickets is going to be scrapped. Buyers will be offered first-come-first-serve ticket opportunities and can pay in installments. Oh, that'll work just fine. Meanwhile, a mysterious oil slick was spotted in Rio's Guanabara Bay this week. That's the same body of water that's going to host Olympic sailing competitions. Oil slick sailing. Not clear what caused the large, dark stain. Local reports indicated environmental authorities had gone to the area to, to look where the dark cloud had come from. As you know, that bay is water-challenged anyway. Speaking of lotteries, Deadline Tokyo, a group organizing public lotteries in Japan, plans to issue special lotteries over five years starting next year. To help raise some 83 million dollars for construction of facilities related to the 2020 uh, tokyo olympics that's right let the poor suckers pay the group also plans to have special lotteries over four years to raise a lot of money for the 2019 rugby world cup in japan let the let the poor suckers pay for everything you know And the International Swimming Federation has strongly criticized the organizers of the Rio Olympics next year over what it says are substandard facilities and, quote, disrespect, unquote, for aquatic events. Hey, I've done that. FINA, which oversees some of the Olympics' most-watched events, attacked the organizers and the Rio mayor on various grounds, including slashing the seating capacity at the main pool. Athletes' health and safety could be at risk over viruses in the area of the sea used for open water swimming events. An organizer's decision to use an open-air venue for diving, water polo, oh no, and synchronized swimming. Open-air synchronized swimming? What are these, barbarians? The letter seems to suggest relations are at a breaking point. It was circulated among leading swimming figures. Don't tick off the swimmers. They get good ratings. And that's what the... Oh, no, the Olympics is a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, where are you going to get your formaldehyde when you need it? you know they're taking it out of the uh, they're not uh letting you uh, live in those trailers anymore it may not even be in the in the uh, new car smell the way it used to be so where are you going to get your from your you know daily necessary dose of formaldehyde well try salmon the uh the norwegian salmon i mentioned this and i men- i just mentioned it again But that's the way I am, you know. I'm going to remind you of it. Meanwhile, the worst of the worst. That's who we were told we told we were detaining in Guantanamo Bay. Remember? Remember Dick Cheney? Back when there was a Los Angeles Times? Well, the last British resident held in Guantanamo, Shakir Amer, is going to be released and get about a million and a half dollars in compensation. Compensation for being in Guantanamo. Like it was his gig. He's uh, going to be freed from U.S. detention camp, according to the British newspaper, The Telegraph, within uh, the month. Did they say what the, the, the name of the month? I think they mean this month. October, by name. U.S. authorities had accused... Oh, he's only been held... For thirteen years, you see. So a million and a half dollars. Well, it's it's not, you know, it's not what you get for running stars, the the cable TV channel, but it's a nice living. The US authorities had accused the father of four of being a close associate of of Osama bin Laden and a recruiter and financier for Al Qaeda. Why you could charge him with those oh they didn't. He was never charged. He's a Saudi national who was residing in the UK a saudi national you see what i'm saying he's now expected to receive the compensation after claiming britain knew or was complicit in his treatment at guantanamo and he doesn't think he was treated well oddly enough nutty how they those they they resent they resent the thing they resent being held it, Five years ago, the British government announced it was paying compensation to 16 men who were detained at Guantanamo to settle damage claims that it knew or was complicit in mistreatment there. Many received around uh, a million and a half each. Amr was included in that deal. His return to the uh, U.K. will pose a major headache for the intelligence agencies who will be tasked with monitoring him. The level of any surveillance will be severely hampered by the fact there will be no recent evidence of alleged suspicious activity on which to justify close monitoring, because he's been in custody. U.S. government files previously leaked revealed that the Americans suspected Amr of being a member of al-Qaeda in Europe and close to bin Laden, and several other senior fanatics, that's the phrase used by the Telegraph. You don't want to associate with those junior fanatics, because they're nutty. He is also accused of being a recruiter, recruiter, financier, and facilitator. He was originally detained in Afghanistan in 2001, transferred to Guantanamo Bay the following year. The U.S. never brought charges against him, despite despite him being one of the longest-serving Guantanamo residents, serving in the sense of, thank you for your service. He was cleared for release by the United States in 2007 and 2009. Check your calendars, ladies and gentlemen. It's 2015. So... Eight years after our government said, okay, you can go, he gets to go. The wheels of, uh, how how do the wheels of justice grind? I forget. I'll look it up. The wheels of justice, ladies and gentlemen. The worst of the worst. Because he he could have been any of those things, you know? Who knew? Obviously, we didn't. And now, news the warm, won't you?
2: Soft
1: listen to the warm We can listen to the
0: warm Well, this might be good news. This might be a good news week at News of the Warm. The world has a better chance of saving itself from catastrophic global warming now than at any time over the past two decades. This is according to the scientists behind some of the most alarming predictions ever made about the planet's future. Johann Rockström shocked environmentalists six years ago when he identified nine categories of nature that were essential for life as we know it and warned we had already crossed into dangerous territory on three of them, including climate change. He's an environmental science professor at Stockholm University and executive director of the Stockholm Resilience Center. He's added a fourth category, deforestation, to his list of planetary, planetary boundaries in the danger zone, which threaten irreversible, devastating consequences to the planet. Not good news so far, but look, he's had a dramatic change of heart over global warming. He's more optimistic that the worst of the threat can be contained than he has been since 1992. I wonder what he's taken. I don't think it's due to medication. His optimism is founded on the breakneck speed of innovation in wind and other solar power. Sorry, wind and solar power in the past two to three years, meaning renewable energy is being deployed on a massive scale and at a cost roughly comparable to fossil fuels. Only last week, new figures showed the cost of electricity produced by onshore wind farms in the United Kingdom has fallen so much that for the first time, it's now cheaper than energy from fossil fuels, this according to the Independent on Sunday. Rapid improvements in energy efficiency are also key, along with a drive to reduce waste and increase the volume of recycled materials used in manufacturing, he says. These developments have effectively removed the last major impediments to dramatically reducing greenhouse gases, he says, raising the prospect that even though the planetary boundary has been crossed on global warming, the world may be able to cross back again. Quote, We have a paradox unique to our era, he says, Professor Rockstrom told The Independent on Sunday. On a scientific basis, there's more reason to be nervous than ever before. But at the same time, there's never before been so much reason for hope. The last time I was as optimistic was in 1992 with the Rio Conference. That was an international conference of uh, countries supposedly trying to uh, agree on what to do about climate change, which, you notice, didn't happen. We lost 20 years, he says. Now we're back on a much more hopeful path. This year's event in Paris, in December, is billed as the most important ever. World leaders have pledged to agree to emissions cuts and other actions that will put the world on a pathway to eventually limit global warming to two degrees centigrade. In advance, countries have said how much they're prepared to cut emissions by 2030. These cuts fall short of what's needed, but the professor is hopeful a more comprehensive deal involving further cuts can be struck in Paris. He's optimistic about Paris. It's the magic of Paris. He says the situation regarding climate change is similar to that facing the ozone layer in the stratosphere, which, as you know, protects us from the UV rays of the sun. Uh, Towards the end of the last century, the uh, layer was being so badly depleted by chlorofluorocarbons used in refrigerators and aerosols. The world had crossed planetary boundaries, threatening to dramatically increase Skin cancer, then a cheaper alternative to CFCs was invented. The 1987 Montreal Protocol banned CFC use, and the ozone layer has been recovering. But, Professor Rockstrom warns, the negatives remain. The world's coral reefs are worryingly close to collapse. We heard this week more about that in a moment. While the Arctic and Antarctic are deteriorating so rapidly they could hit tipping points that are irreversible... It's now or never towards tipping the world toward a very costly, very very devastating future versus tipping ourselves towards a sustainable future. He concludes, I take a sober, optimistic view. No tipping allowed, I guess. Speaking of the uh, corals, NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration scientists, confirm Conferred and then confirmed that record ocean temperatures were causing widespread coral bleaching across Hawaii, and they confirmed the same stressful conditions are expanding to the Caribbean and may last into the new year, prompting the declaration of the third global coral bleaching event ever on record. And you're here for it. You're part of history. You don't even have to buy a ticket or line up. Waters are warming in the Caribbean, threatening coral in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, NOAA scientists said. Coral bleaching began in the Florida Keys. Well, everybody bleaches in Florida in August, but now scientists expect bleaching conditions there to diminish. The coral bleaching and disease brought on by climate change and coupled with events like the current El Nino are the largest and most pervasive threats to coral reefs around the world, says the NOAA Coral Reef Coordinator. We're losing huge areas of coral across the U.S. as well as internationally, he says. This event is going on for more than a year, has been going on for more than a year. Our preliminary model projections indicate it's going to last well into 2016. Australian officials were worried about the uh, Great Barrier Reef. There is going to be some damage there as well. All hydropower plants, this is another story, news of the warm, wise, all hydropower plants in Tanzania. You know, that's clean power, hydropower, hydroelectric power. All the plants are being switched off because of a lack of rain, which has led to low water levels in the country's dams. uh, Hydroelectricity generation has fallen to 20% of capacity, making it difficult for dams to operate. We cannot do anything because of the changes in the environment. We're not getting enough rain, said the head of communication at the ministry. So, yes, it's... um, Kind of paradoxical, but there you go. And in uh, forests worldwide, drought consistently has had a more detrimental effect on the growth and survival of larger trees, according to new research. While the death of small trees may affect the dominance of trees in a landscape, the death of large trees has a far worse impact on the ecosystem and climate's health, especially due to the important role that trees play in the carbon cycle. Previous studies at a few sites had shown large trees suffer more than small trees during and after droughts. This should be a globally consistent pattern, but this project was the first to test this hypothesis, said a uh, renowned forest ecologist at Los Alamos Natural, National Laboratory. A team of researchers studied forests worldwide to determine how a tree's size impact its response to drought. Larger trees transpire more water into the atmosphere, cooling the land and supporting cloud formation, which affects how much solar radiation is reflected back to space and impacts precipitation. They also play key roles in biodiversity, creating environments on which many plant and animal species are dependent. Tree death is often unpredictable. Hey, you you think that's that's just, just, just trees? Large trees are more vulnerable due to their physiology. It's harder for them to transport the water and nutrients they need to their leaves. Large trees with crowns high in the canopy are exposed to higher solar radiation, and their ability to transport water to their foliage is lower. So they're the first to die in droughts, and we're going to get more droughts in the thing. You see what I'm saying? Um, This might be good news of the warm. Despite climate change, sea ice in the Northwest Passage remains too thick and treacherous for it to be a regular commercial Arctic shipping route for many decades, according to new research from York University. So if you want to ship through the... uh, Northwest Passage. Keep burning oil, ladies and gentlemen. News of the warm. It is a copyrighted feature of this very broadcast. And uh, we are now going to continue as our public service, providing free time for a non-member of the House to campaign, possibly for the speakership. Hi. What's this? uh,
1: Usually somebody introduces me. I don't introduce myself. Is this stupid or what? I'm Donald Trump. I think you may have heard of me. If not, please pay your cable bill, ASCP. You know that I'm running for president, but I just found out that, just like you, I'm eligible to be Speaker of the House. And, unlike you, I'm rich enough to run for that, too. What would be more incredible than the new president having as his partner in the House... Himself, And not some politician who can undercut him at the behest of his donors. I don't know about you, but that sounds terrific to me. Would I be the greatest speaker ever to sit in the house? Well, I'd be one speaker that the Mexicans love... I'd be one speaker that could take on the Chinese and make the Mexicans pay for it. I'd be one speaker who could cherish the women, even the disgusting ones. This would be unbelievable. And you can help make it happen. I have no idea how, my people haven't even looked into this, but my website, which has been named one of the best in the world by so many experts, will have all the information before it's too late. Remember, nobody makes a better speaker than a great talker. Nobody talks Trump.
0: Let's Trump the House. Normally, there's big applause now. This is stupid, too. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to read the trades for you. From advertising age, bringing radio, dragging radio, into the digital age. Oh, you bet I'm going to read that for you. And another one, too. It's a twofer. Speaking at an AdAge data conference in New York, iHeartMedia president of programmatic and data operations, Brian Kaminsky, says his company's research indicates that a consumer's musical tribe is probably one of the best indicators of your purchase patterns. Millennial moms who listen to urban radio are big gamers, for example. Millennial moms who listen to country band Florida Georgia Line are value shoppers. Kaminsky says iHeartMedia knows what consumers are listening to and knows a lot about them. Quote, we're matching that up with what we know about them from their social patterns and third-party sources. Here's an indication of what a bubble these people live in. He attempted to clear up misconceptions that non-driving East Coasters might have about radio audiences. The online and app listener isn't Dick different from the listener in the car. They're one and the same, he said. We sometimes forget that the rest of the country, and it's a big, big country, drives to work every day, unquote. Yes, he lives in New York. Has he ever seen the freeways coming into New York in the morning? <laughs> He lives in a very small part of New York, obviously. Some of those drivers still like knobs and buttons, he says. Wide adoption of the digital dashboard is still a long way off. But his company is taking radio and dragging it into the digital age. They know what you're listening to and what you're buying. And from Ad Age, there's a scene... In a new comedy series, Donnie, debuting next month on the USA Network. In which moments before he climbs into bed with supermodel Christy Brinkley, Donnie Deutsch, former ad man turned TV personality, turns to the camera and tells viewers a certain brand of vodka is perfect for the occasion. This is the latest example of how TV shows which have long avoided overtly acknowledging product placement to their viewers are becoming increasingly upfront about it, even turning it into a joke. Product placement is becoming more over-the-top. Seismic shifts in TV viewing habits have forced forced programmers to find new ways for advertisers to reach consumers. Viewers aren't just skipping ads with DVRs these days. Many are watching shows on ad-free streaming services like Netflix, or staring into smartphones during commercial breaks. So the classic paid endorsements of a few years ago, American Idol judges sitting behind giant red Coca-Cola cups, aren't enough anymore. That's why Deutsch, who has described himself as a, quote, shameless shill, is opening his show to pitch vodka, and why Stephen Colbert, who doesn't describe himself that way, endorsed Sabra brand hummus during his debut on The Late Show last month. NBC plans to experiment more with new types of product placement, said Linda Yacarino, chairman of ad sales. She cited Playing House, another show in the USA Network, in which the character star in customized ads for sponsors like Samsung and Toyota that appeared during the program when viewers watch on demand. Said Yacarino, you have to acknowledge the challenges with ad skipping and break out in a more creative way. Advertisers can pay more than $300,000 for product placement in an episode of a popular TV show. More than a million for season-long integration. Yes, I know it used to mean something else. By comparison, a 30-second commercial on a top show can cost upwards of $400,000 on broadcaster cable. Deutsch said the old method of placement, writers trying to seamlessly weave products into scripts, no longer works. Once during each episode of his new show, a fictionalized comedy based on his life, Deutsch stops what he's doing and starts selling a product. Today's young people are hip to what we do for a living, Deutsch said. You've got to let them in on the joke. The Writers Guild has called for the FCC to regulate product placement, saying it forces content creators to become ad writers. The saying like, like it's a bad thing. On Gossip Girl, Verizon reps held meetings with the show's writers to demonstrate how their phones work, which characters should use them, and reviewed scripts, said a writer and co-executive producer on the show. At times, she said she felt like a phone company had a voice in the creative process on Gossip Girl. It gets very frustrating, she said, because it adds one more layer to your process. But if you want to work, you have to understand the business and be a team player, she concluded. Speaking of which, it's going to sound like a joke. From 1967. But this morning... I saw Bob Dylan doing an IBM commercial. Yes. Just a, a nutty thing that I experienced on the way to reading the trades for you, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. From San Francisco, this is LaShow Show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Godly. Well, it's, it almost seems as if um, the religious uh, officials are somehow connected with uh, those in power, especially In the United Kingdom, where they do have an established church, what a good idea. A member of the royal family, a senior judge, cabinet ministers, and public school headmasters, those are principals, all waged a campaign to support a Church of England bishop who escaped prosecution for sexual abuse a couple of decades ago, according to proceedings in court. The scale of the intervention from senior establishment figures when Peter Bale was first accused in 1993 by a vulnerable young man of sexual exploitation and abuse was revealed for the first time this week 83 year old Bale. sorry ball he was out, he was not out on bail ball i know it seemed it seemed too obvious a name but there it is he was in court to be sentenced for 15 years of grooming sexual exploitation and abuse of 18 18 vulnerable young men aged 17 to 25 who'd come to him for spiritual guidance and inspiration between 1977 and 1992 when he was Bishop of Lewes. it was Lou's behavior. The judge said he'd abused his position as a senior member of the established church. Under the guise of being part of an austere regime of devotion, these acts were committed, at your suggestion, for your own sexual gratification. Ball counted the Prince of Wales as a loyal friend. Police investigated. Six other victims came forward, but so- support flooded in for Ball. From within the establishment, he was never charged. He received a caution for gross indecency, resigned his post as bishop, and was allowed to continue officiating at ceremonies for many years. He uh, originally said that the uh, stories about him were total fantasy. After months of which he attempted to avoid justice by pleading unfit to stand trial because he's 83, he finally admitted his years of offending last month. Pleading guilty to misconduct in public office relating to the exploitation of eighteen young men. He had a scheme to encourage young people to give a year of their life to the church through which he met his victims, many of whom lived in his home. The, The court heard the abuse included beatings, and victims who were forced who were in his sway were made to strip naked during baptisms, in which Ball was also naked. One victim said he saw Ball as a living saint. It seemed to be the better-looking boys, said one. We were taken from the chapel, and we would then remove all our clothing and be naked in front of the bishop, in front of the altar, in front of God. His uh, defense attorney said the offending was part of the former bishop's dark side. The Archbishop of Canterbury has commissioned an independent review of the way the church handled the case. You might think so. Also... In another church, in another country, a priest has lost his post in northern Italy after saying he can understand pedophilia within the church. The priest appeared to blame children for sexual abuse and described homosexuality as a sickness. Pedophilia, I can understand. Homosexuality, I don't understand, said Reverend Gino Flaim, a priest in Trento. Unfortunately, there are many children that look for affection because they don't have it at home. And perhaps if they find a priest, he could also give in. He's a since lost his job news of the godly latest gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast and now speaking of which the apologies of the week
2: we're so sorry.
0: NBC weatherman Al Roker has apologized for tweeting a smiling selfie with the destruction in South Carolina as a backdrop. Roker tweeted an image of him and his NBC co-workers posing in front of a collapsed highway with a car that had careened off the road with the caption, My crew and I getting ready to report on East Coast flooding. After others called the tweet insensitive and tacky, Roker deleted the tweet and apologized. I apologize for being insensitive. The woman in that car got out without injury. We should not have been in the picture, he said. Michigan's WEMU-FM and public radios Wait Wait Don't Tell Me have reconciled after the show's handling of a live taping Thursday in Ann Arbor drew criticism from the Ypsilanti station The show has apologized to us and they're working on making amends says Molly Motherwell General Manager WEMU It's pretty simple said the executive producer of Wait Wait We blew it We're comedy show that makes jokes We're the dummies Motherwell said she was extremely disappointed with Wait Wait taping held about 10 miles away from WEMU on the campus of University of Michigan. WEMU had arranged the event as part of its 50th anniversary celebration. But Wait Wait decided to stage the show at a larger auditorium at the University of Michigan. But assuring us they would remain sensitive to the fact that WEMU represents Eastern Michigan University and the show was in celebration of our 50th. But show. Instead, focused on the University of Michigan. I know it's all Michigan stuff. Media mogul Rupert Murdoch apologized this week after drawing criticism on Twitter the previous night for implying President Obama is not a, quote, real black president in a message intended to praise GOP presidential hopeful Ben Carson. Apologies. No offense meant. Personally find both men charming, tweeted Rupert or whoever writes Rupert's tweets. McGraw-Hill, the textbook publishing giant, apologized this week after a Texas mother discovered slaves being referred to as workers in a geography textbook. The Atlantic slave trade brought millions of workers. This particular textbook, that's a quote from the textbook, this particular textbook is used in a lot of Texas schools blew up on social media, ended up attracting the attention of the book's publisher, McGraw-Hill, CEO David Levin, apologized in a letter to employees. We're deeply sorry the caption was written this way. While the book was reviewed by many people inside and outside the company, it was made available for public review. No one raised concerns about the caption, yet clearly something went wrong. We must and will do better. Southeast Asian taxi booking app Grab Taxi has been criticized for a controversial breast cancer awareness campaign under the slogan, Love Boobs, So Does Cancer. The company hoped its t shirts bearing the same words would raise money for cancer charities. It created a social media bashing instead. The firm has said sorry for the taglines. And uh, of course, in the wake of the Pentagon now saying it would pay money. To the relatives of those killed at the hospital run by Médecins Sans, Fré- Sans Frontières, Médecins Sans Frontières, in Kunduz, Afghanistan. President Obama called the head of Medicine Sa- Doctors Without Borders to us this week to apologize for the airstrike by a United States aircraft on the hospital which uh, killed doctors, nurses, and patients. The uh, Pentagon has had a series of explanations which have uh, serially differed as to what exactly went on. And uh, now apparently reporters and other observers are being denied access to the site of the damaged hospital, the destroyed hospital, uh, by U.S. officials. Um, but as I said, the president uh, did call the uh, head of Doctors Without Borders to say he was sorry, and he, uh, I believe, also issued a, uh, a more public uh, apology.
3: Sorrier than the Ritz Hotel, if your suite is bedeviled by lice. Sorrier than Exxon about the loss of Arctic sea ice. Sorrier than a schoolboy when his parents catch him swearing. Sorrier than Uber about the disruption caused by sharing. My sorrow is far deeper than a sinkhole in Arizona. My sorrow is way stronger than espresso brewed in Kona. I'm much sorrier than the Volkswagen guys when it was revealed they were cheating. I'm sorrier than even I am when my wife sees me overeating. I'm truly beset by the deepest regret that my generals made up a story. I know you're outraged and you can't be assuaged, but on the other hand, I'm sorry. about all the bloodshed the patients burning in beds. I'm sorry the generals and colonels and sergeants just weren't using their heads. I'm sorry we had a hospital, if that's really what our targets were. But we're having an investigation, so I'm sorry I can't be sure. I'm sorry you think it's a war crime, since I won a Nobel Peace Prize. I'm sorry to have to remind you, but we really are the good guys. I'm sorry you're leaving Kunduz. They could use some medical care, although I'm sorry to say most people who can are getting the hell out of there. It causes me pain that one of our planes should go back to the laboratory, so I hope you can see that if it's up to me, I'm sorry to tell you, I'm sorry.
0: And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, save to cheap to meet. Save, safe to
1: cheap to meet.
2: Same, save to safe to meter. Save, save to safe to meter.
0: Addie the Adam didn't make the trip to uh, San Francisco. He was uh, caught in a metal detector. Down in L.A., Tokyo Electric Power expects to begin freezing the soil barrier by the end of the year, that ice wall that should stop a torrent of water entering the wrecked Fuk nuclear facility, moving a step closer to fulfilling the promise the Japanese government made to the international community more than two years ago. In the last half year, we've made significant progress in water treatment, said uh, chief of the Fuk plant. During a tour of the facility, the frozen wall, along with other measures, should be able to resolve the contaminated water issue before the Olympic Games. 2020. Olympic Games in Tokyo. Swiss reactor Besnau-1, the world's oldest nuclear power plant, is riddled with so many holes it resembles the Swiss cheese Emmental, according to Swiss media. Two independent sources have confirmed the reactor's pressure vessel contains around 1,000 holes, half a centimeter in diameter. The new information means the situation at Besnau-1 could be far worse than the plant's operator, Energy Utility Axpo declared back in July when it first detected minimal irregularities in the re- reactor's pressure vessel during its annual resting period. The affected pressure vessel is where the nuclear process takes place, meaning highly radioactive material is at risk of escaping through the holes. But they're so small. An insider told one newspaper, the problems so so serious the reactor may never resume service. It is the oldest nuclear reactor in the world. It's still on. More news of uh, our friend the atom. A new study says children living near the Fouque nuclear meltdowns have been diagnosed with thyroid cancer at a rate 20 to 50 times that of children elsewhere, a difference the authors contend undermines the government's position that more cases have been discovered in the area only because of more stringent monitoring. Most of the children in Fouque Prefecture have been given ultrasound checkups. The most recent statistics show that thyroid cancer is suspected and confirmed in 137 of the children, a number that rose by 25 from a year earlier. Elsewhere, the disease occurs in only about one or two of every million children per year by some estimates. This is more than expected and emerging faster than expected, said the lead author of the study. Four Japanese researchers attributed most of the thyroid cancers found among children and adolescents after the Fuchs disaster, to radiation from their ac- from the accident in their report. It is news of our che- clean, cheap, safe, too too safe to meet her. It is in fact our friend the atom. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations over NPR worldwide throughout Europe. The USEN 440 cable system is banned around the world through the facilities of the American Forces Network up and down the east coast of North America by the shortwave giant WBCQ The Planet seven point four nine oh megahertz shortwave on the Mighty 104 in Berlin, on Soho Radio in London. Around the world via the Internet at two different locations, live and archived whenever you want it, at harryshearer.com and kcsn.org. Available for your smartphone through stitcher.com. Available as a free podcast from SoundCloud, Sideshow Network, iTunes, and wwwno.org And it'd be just like knowing what actually happened in Kunduz, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh huh. A tip of the show, chapeau to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago in exile, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead, to Jenny Lawson at WWNO in New Orleans, to Matt and all the gang here at KALW San Francisco for their hospitality yesterday and for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, a playlist of the music heard here on, your opportunity to buy Cars I Talk t-shirts. Somebody who came to the KALW party yesterday thought I was kidding about Cars I Talk t-shirts. You know I'm not kidding. That's all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter. I mean, not right now. I'm talking to you. But I do every day tweet, and I write it myself. At the Harry Shearer. I'll write yours, too, if you want. No, I won't. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. Have a great week. So long
2: from San Francisco, home of the tech world.